Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. This is episode 33, and in it, Graham McMillan and I decide to share the love and give you a podcast of nothing but glowing reviews, untarnished by equivocation, on books and strips as diverse as Bakuman, Classic G.I. Joe, Jack Kirby's Captain America Omnibus, Superman 709, and Bucko. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. I am online. I'm right here. <laughs> Number five is alive. Yay. Guys, why are you lying to both of us? <laughs> dear, dear listener, uh, Skype is telling me that Jeff isn't online, and so I, I, I am and said, are you online? And Jeff's like, it said you're not online. And then the phone rings, and Jeff's like, hello. <laughs> Yes, Skype is clearly trying to keep us apart for reasons uh, unknown. Skype is not a fan of the podcast, clearly. And really, who can blame it? (laughs) Oh, that's the spirit. (laughs) Yes, apparently Skype feels that we're not spending enough time uh, discussing one thing or another, which is kind kind of a shame. I have a science question for you, completely unrelated to comics, but I... I was told this yesterday, and it's fascinating me. Okay. Do you know how much water you're supposed to drink to stay hydrated? Ah, uh, wait. I used to know in 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 the desert. It was two <laughs> gallons a day during Burning Man. Was it two gallons a day, or was I drinking two <laughs> gallons a day? I think you might have been drinking two gallons a day. I, I was totally I, drinking two gallons a day. I will give you the answer. I was just going. Okay. Which is this? I went to see. Uh, my new doctor yesterday, who's a holistic doctor because I live in Portland, Oregon. Um, and she told me the math is this. You take your weight in pounds, you divide it by two, and you have to drink that many ounces. All right. So, uh, right. And then, so for example, ounces? I'm 140 pounds. Mm-hmm. So I have to drink 70 ounces a day, oh, which is just over four pints of water. Wow. What? Wow. Okay. So, interesting. Um... <laughs> Dude, you're 140 pounds. Yeah, do you know that? I didn't. I had no I, idea. It's not. Here, here's the crazy thing. No, uh-huh. I thought I would have told you because the crazy thing is I have pretty much been within five pounds of being 140 pounds at least for the last decade, no matter what I do. Wow. No matter exercise or diet. <laughs> Generally, I'm between 140 to 142 pounds. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. No matter what I do, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> My body is just like, yeah, that's your weight, Graham. That's that's what you're saying. Oh, my God. Well, I kind of envy that because uh, back when I was in college, it seemed like it was impossible for me to get, uh, you know, way more than 160 pounds. (laughs) Boy, did I manage to work my way out of that. (laughs) See, you're just going to keep trying, Jeff. That's what it's all about. Yeah, You've got to set yourself a goal and just keep working at it. There we go. Exactly. It's not that I'm overweight. I'm just overly committed. That's the exactly. way I like to think of it. Just dedicated yeah. to this whole thing. Exactly. Exactly. I wasn't going to take no for an answer as far as being uh, a healthy body weight was concerned. Um, maybe that was taking yes for an answer. Well, anyway, sir. So, yes, um, listeners, we are going to try and keep this brief or as brief as we can get uh, in part because we both have very pressing engagements um, I actually have a, a weirdly like multiple person engagement day. Really? Yeah, I've, I've got um, as I told you in email, I have a personal trainer meeting. Uh, just a couple of hours from now, 
Um, but also, I am then doing a call for Techline with the CEO of a company called StockTwits. Uh, and StockTwits is a company that essentially lets you tweet with stockbrokers. Uh, but it's in response to this spectacular story where someone has done a study and found out that if you use Twitter properly, you can accurately predict, with to 80% accuracy, the Dow Jones of the next three days. Wow. What? Uh-huh. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. What, like, so this, these, uh, this financial group has done a study, and with 80% accuracy, <laughs> Twitter will predict what's going to happen three days from then in Dow Jones. Wow. Hmm. Which makes huh. it one of the more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for sure, definitely. I'm like, part of me is like, wow, cut me in on that action because exactly. Uh, so yeah, I, so that that's my two things. Whereas you have a much more enjoyable one. You're having lunch with Lauren, right? Yes, I am. Uh, Lauren Davis and I are going to Udupi Palace, and we're going to be spending time talking about our next writing projects. So it's going to be very exciting. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. I, I am looking forward to hearing about that offline at some point. Yes, yes. Uh, you will get a hoot out of it, I think. Not not so much, I think, for Lauren's project, because I'm sure her, her project will be awesome. My project that I'm currently planning is um, ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Also, if this ends up in the podcast, you're a big tease. <laughs> <laughs> I learned it from you, Graham. I learned it from you. Uh, Do you know so, why I'm a tease, Jeff? Why is that? Because right now I'm wearing my new Wonder Woman outfit modeled after the spectacular costume that debuted in the internet <laughs> I really have I to have give the, I have the shy blue pants. <laughs> I, I've got the incredibly plastic-looking jewelry, the whole thing. Dude, I really was impressed. I was like, I've never seen, like... It, it's. I think it's the first time I've actually ever seen somebody's Halloween outfit picked to like be turned into like the outfit of a major TV show. Like I could have sworn <laughs> I saw that funny. Wonder Woman. Isn't it, it was crazy? Just so bad. It was. Mm-hmm. It's. I, the best thing is I might end up writing about this because I'd be kind of fascinated by this. I think it looks terrible. I don't think it looks terrible um, for any reason other than the material they've chosen. The fact that it looks like it's from like. PVC or something, just makes it look really cheap. Exactly. Right? I think the actual design could be fine in different material. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean... It's like what's in a I mean, really, that's fine. <laughs> well, I, I think for the most part, I agree with you. There's some really... Part of it is the materials are terrible. That being said, that bustier looks really flimsy you know what i mean like it's that might be the point yeah well we knew we were going to be getting the graham mcmillan man purr at some point there (laughs) uh but i i i i don't know i mean i i'm kind of like there's just so many different ways they could have gone with it and looking at that it really does it's I don't know. I mean, everything I hear about the David Kelly Wonder Woman TV show just <laughs> does, does not sound promising. You know not what, at all. what is kind of surprising about it? Mm. The choice of primary colors. I know the comics in primary colors, mm-hmm. but I really thought they would tone it down for the TV show. Yeah, you know, because I think, as far as I'm concerned, part of the thing that they're doing is, and this is the other reason why I think that Bustier might be as dangerous looking as it is, is I think 
they're definitely doing it to play on people's memories of the Linda Carter TV show, you know? It's um, really possible. So, cause I really, I kind of got that, that sort of hit from a lot of it is, is, you know, pants aside, there was, there was kind of this element of like, yeah, it's sort of there. I really think they're trying to shoot for this kind of Linda Carter E type vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shall see what it actually looks like in the show, but mm-hmm. it's one of the it is one of those I can't believe your first picture looks like that moments. I know, isn't it fascinating? I mean, it's shocking to me because if you think about it, the whole behind the scenes coup of it came out through Entertainment Weekly, which is owned by Warner's, which also owns DC. You know, it's it's a pretty meditated piece of hype. Oh yeah, sense. yeah. And at the same time, actually, that appeared in Entertainment Weekly, it was on DC's website. Right. So I mean, uh, it's... so I mean, like, this is not a a mistake. This is a carefully planned event. But the photograph itself is just, I mean, it's it's an odd photograph. It looks like it needs retouching. Not mm-hmm. just not just in the. I mean, this is a, an odd thing to say, but. Um, the lower half of her arms are a different color from the upper half of her arms. <laughs> I, I'm oh yes, serious. Like, right, right, right. The photograph, they actually are. But also, if you look at the background, like someone needs to Photoshop out the fact that the backdrop quite clearly ends uh, just past the edge of the photograph. Mm-hmm. Like, see the ruffles. It's like this photo actually needed retouching, not to like change anything in particular about the actress, right. but just in general. Yeah. Like, it needed cleaning up. Um, and it's just really honest. It's as if they had to put it up there like, oh, just put that right now. Just, just, just get it out there. Totally, totally. Like, they were totally like, ha, 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 ha. And suddenly this got shopped up to, you know, pushed up the priority list. And someone found out that, like, what they thought was due tomorrow at noon was, like, due 20 minutes from now or something like that. Yeah, and... the whole thing was really, really odd. But the, yeah. the thing that's fascinating me is after it first came out and a lot of people were just like, oh, that's not very good. It looks kind of tacky. I kept seeing a lot of people defending the outfit by saying, I'm sick of slut shaming. <laughs> and I thought that this is a weird straw man argument because I didn't see anyone say she looks like a slut. Shame on I you, thought, Graham. Shame on you. No, but you know what I mean? Like, I saw so many people be like, this is a terrible outfit, but I didn't see anyone actually commenting on the actress. Yeah. And so the actual slut shaming is like, that's a crazy straw man argument. Yeah. Uh... I, mean, I mean, was I just missing all the people saying she looks like a whore? I mean... <laughs> You know, I think the problem is, Graham, and this is this is a common mistake, is you're clearly not following that person looks like a whore on Twitter, uh, which is <laughs> highly influential Twitter. Uh, and I have to admit, I, I, although it's I, a little I, one after, note. After the last few years, I have stopped reading that person looks like a whore.livejournal.com. <laughs> It's a shame. I I would have stuck with it longer if like the mood hadn't always been like that person looks like a whore. <laughs> I really think it lost something when it stopped actually talking about famous people or having photographs. It was just one line of text which you could say. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. It is true. And once they actually lost the ability to um uh, stop capping things or using being able to use any punctuation. I stuck with it for another four or five months, but uh, I, I did like when they revamped so that it was. Do you know who looks like a whore? And then, 
But, you know, even after a while, that loss is charming. <laughs> it is true. The sad part about this is really... Um, it's it's one of Nick Denton's more forward-thinking websites. If only, <laughs> if only he'd been able to sell it properly to the advertisers. Uh, so you know, Graham. Um, yes. I, I thought that uh, we got very minimal feedback on the the first part of our podcast that I posted this week, which is not surprising because there was a lot of amazing stuff on the Savage Critic website in a very short period of time, uh, including Abhay's, like, amazing... Um, oh, the Mark Sable post? Yeah, Mark Sable, Mortal Kombat <clears throat> in the Octagon post, which was great. Uh, but somebody did say, one of the comments they, they said, uh, George said that it thought it was a great episode, but every once in a while it would be great to hear a glowing review of something. And I kind of was taken aback. Like I'm like, I thought we generally talked well of things more often than not. On the other hand, I do admit that I tend to be incredibly, uh, I don't know what the word is, fussy, I suppose, about about things, qualify my, my likes a lot. But I was thinking, like, maybe it would be awesome unless you have some other uh, agenda up your sleeve for this podcast. I, I have no agenda. I see. That's I was kind of thinking because normally when we know what we're going to talk about, we sort of mention it as opposed to just like, okay, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Um, I thought maybe we could spend a few minutes and talk about, uh, give a few glowing reviews of things that we read, whether recently or not, that are worth pointing out to people. Um, I, I'm, okay, in that case, feel good. I'm going to give a really unexpected and odd glowing review. Sounds and I've great. kind of talked about this before. Uh, have I gone into depth about my love for IDW's G.I. Joe reprints? You know, I don't... You mentioned it in passing, the the reprints themselves, huh? Yeah, they, 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 they have a line of trades called Classic G.I. Joe, and it's ten issues of the Marvel series at a time. So, I mean, it's a big book. Um, and they're all the way up to show 100 already. Wow, well, of course. Uh, so, yeah, you know, they're quite clearly... Good. I think they come out, like, every two or three months as well. So, they're going to be done very, very, very soon. Yeah. Um, but it's great, and it's great on two levels. It's great because I have nostalgia for it, because I read it when I wasn't even a kid. I read it when I was, like, a teenager. I read it when I was, like, 13, 14. Right. Um, but also because once I realized, and I don't think I really realized this until maybe I started reading the reprints, once you realize that G.I. Joe is essentially Larry Hammer doing Mad Magazine with more guns, <laughs> then G.I. Joe becomes... I, I'm really not... Joking. Larham <laughs> honestly writes G.I. Joe as a social satire more often than not. Wow. Um, there's an entire scene in the, the one I just read where the the Joes, as they're called, have arrested the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And they're escorting... They're, oh, no, they're not even at the escorting part. They were, they're, they've arrested them on a, a highway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as they are trying to basically read them their rights and everything... Um, Everyone else on the highway starts complaining that they can't get to their appointments because traffic's been closed down. And it, it's obviously published in like 87, 88. And so what you have are the G.I. Joe characters complaining about yuppies um, <laughs> while trying to arrest these like punk villains. Like, and I say that as in they are punks, not as in those young punks. Um, right. And the yuppies are like wearing the polo shirts with the shirt tied over the shoulders 
and complaining that like they have to go to their crystal therapist. That oh they're going to I mean, it's it's genuinely hilarious stuff. <laughs> but I didn't remember any of this when I was a kid. I didn't remember that just leap into like this weird social satire. And so and it's not just the, the, the G.I. Joe characters like, you know, we're trying to do good. Like they get really upset that the Yuppies mm. are anti military. Mm. And start talking start talking back to them about like, you know, if you want, you don't have to pay taxes and we won't defend you. It's like in the middle of this comic where, you know, I remember thinking as kid like it was this cool toy I am. Right. Um so yeah, I really love that. And also I love that it's a complete soap opera. I mean it's so soapy, it's insane. I yeah. admittedly brought to like issue hundred, so they've got hundred issues of soapiness to build on. Mm-hmm. But really, there's an entire three issue arc in this latest trade, which is like ninety, I wanna say. Actually it might be the trade before that, because we read the two nights to each other. Um where the Baroness, who's like one of the core villains, mm-hmm. reveals her secret origin, which is that her brother like had been killed by the military, so she decides to become a terrorist. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that her boyfriend was there at the same time and knows that her brother wasn't killed by the military. But the military were there, and that's I also like the military guy that was there was Snake Eyes, the like lead G.I. Joe character. And, like, mm-hmm. all of this happened, like, 20 years ago. <laughs> and and it's, also, like, it's just accepted, you know? It's, they don't right. like, everyone's like, that's an incredible coincidence. <laughs> but character is actually like, no, that wasn't how your brother died. I was there. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. All that of stuff. course. It's, it's an amazing pile-up of genre. Uh, and, and so much more than you would expect from someone saying it's a G.I. Joe comic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I, I really, really, really am avidly reading these collections. Uh, and also waiting for it to get shit, if that makes sense. Because I remember there was a point towards the end of the series where it, like, the quality took a nose dive. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm waiting for that. I honestly would have thought that would have happened by now for issue 100. But no, it's yeah. still just hilarious. And I mean, I've told you the whole Cobra Commander was a used car salesman. Yes, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so he actually gets killed off, like around issue fifty or something, <laughs> and replaced. <laughs> and then he comes back over issue hundred, and literally he's just like, "I wasn't dead at all. I started the shipping business. <laughs> <laughs> I the shipping business because, like, Larry has this hilarious humor. It's called Arbco." <laughs> Wow. Yeah, no, I know. Seriously, I, I surprised myself by heartily recommending the G.I. Joe the classic G.I. Joe collections. Oh, my God. Well, you know, I, I have to admit, I've always meant to sort of pick them up and catch up with them more extensively because I remember reading them. They really did have a great, like, they sort of remind me of the way that you sort of talk about, uh, old 2000 ADs in that they've kind of got like that sort of they just have they always have a lot of hooks to drag you in yes. like, you know, and also it, like like early 2000 ADs there's this sense all the way through of really not giving a fuck and going like going flat out to be lowest common denominator but in mm-hmm. doing so just being incredibly enjoyable right Right, exactly. Which, you know, is kind of supposed to be the point, I guess, in, in yeah. many cases. But it's great. It's, it's almost like it's, you know, the, the brazenness of being a toy tie-in releases uh-huh. any ideas of, like, you know, 
I will try and create art. Instead, <laughs> it's just like, nope. I'm going to put whatever <laughs> I want in here to get myself entered in. And it, it's right. great. It's really, yeah. really good. Yeah, Larry Harmon's pretty amazing that way. Um, so there you go. There's a glowing review. There's a glowing review. Uh, I did want to give a glowing review uh, it, it to, because um, I think when in the course of talking about everything that I talked about last week, I didn't mention uh, Bakuman, which is, you know, the, the manga series by the guys who created Death Note. Yes. Uh, I read the first volume of it, and I was like, yeah, it's okay. It's a little um, contrived, I guess. You know, the, the, the idea is that it's about these two teenagers who decide that they're going to, you know, their goal is to create an epic manga um, and become successful creators in as absurdly short a period of time as possible. Uh, and of course, they're both unbelievably skilled. Volume one spends a lot of time putting everything in place because, of course, the kid who wants to be an artist doesn't really even want to be an artist or, or, or do manga. And how he gets roped in is pretty much the hook of volume one. Uh, volume two and volume three, though, I had a fantastic time reading them last week. I really did. Um, and so that's kind of my glowing review. One of the things that I really like about it is is that, like, um, I always enjoy the educational aspect of, of manga, you know, where it's like, here's how this works. And so, like, you know, it's like the, the you can have a 45-volume manga about a pachinko sales, you know, salesman. Yeah, I, I love and that. It, or or the, the one about pot noodle, which is just spectacular. Uh, about which? The, the cup noodles, the origin of the cup noodles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, the cup of noodles manga, which is, I mean, it's just awesome. I mean, that itself, unfortunately, ended up being not especially interesting, but that was... But the fact that it exists, I'm sorry, it just makes me happy. Oh, absolutely. Well. It's fantastic. I mean, I really was. <laughs> I was so happy when I picked that thing up. And I just want to say, like, just so people know, I'm not entirely unbiased. I was like, eh, the execution a little, meh, you know, because it very much was. It's an impressive piece of uh, pictorial ass-kissing, though, if you ever uh, read the old Cup of Manga noodles. It really, the the Cup of Noodle manga is is easily the the most uh, butt-kissing-ist paying to the man who invented you know the guy who ran the company anywho bakuman uh volumes two and volume three i read them they're of course you know it, it, a big chunk of of manga you know a couple hundred pages in each volume and really satisfying it really does a great job of building this whole world and explaining uh how the the manga system works for Shonen Jump because it you know it's fairly it's very uh, traditional of course that that in these sorts of manga you get the person who has a dream and then half of the book is explaining how impossible it is to actually have that dream fulfilled because it's so impossible. There's something that's really entertainingly um, meta, of course, about that actually about manga actually being the topic of it. So you get to learn how Shonen Jump, the the magazine works, because that's the magazine that they're trying to break into, and they end up connecting with an editor. And, I, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I, you sort of wonder what the American comic book industry would be like if it was run like the manga is here. Like, in, in Shonen Jump, they have, you know, questionnaires that the readers fill in and send in every week talking about what their favorite 
manga are. And if you don't make the ranking of the top three, like within 10 weeks, you're just gone, you know? And so getting there and staying there and the tricks that, that everyone uses, um, it's really, it's this fascinating education about the current state of the Japanese manga industry. And what's fascinating is, is that these kids are the kid who wants to be an artist. His dad had, uh, sorry, his uncle had been, uh, a manga artist who essentially died broke. And as they point out, he'd even had one big manga series under his belt, but it didn't run for long enough Mm -hmm. and he didn't go on to create another. And so he basically dies. And so the kid is very much like, yeah, you know, saw this happen to my uncle trying to become a a star in manga is basically just like being a gambler. You're either a genius or you're a gambler. And one of the other things that's really interesting and refreshing about the book is both of these kids are very calculated. Like from the very beginning, they're both trying to figure out, okay, how do I create the most successful manga ever? And it's not so much about the sheer love of the art. Um, And as they go about trying to figure out ways to break in that will make them popular, that could make them stand out from the crowd, like toward the midpoint of volume two, you meet their, their opposite number, who is this kid who has been drawing manga from day one and is a, is a manga genius. And mm-hmm. he's, he's actually like broken in at the top of the field and his manga story was so highly rated. He's being given a series. And of course, when you meet him, he's, He's just about an idiot savant. Like, he's he's clearly, instead of him being, like, the artist is this super pure conception, they really have this thing of, like, yeah, you've got to be pretty much 80% an idiot to end up being, <laughs> like, that good at manga because clearly you've ignored every, every, everything you should do. Yeah. So, exactly. Um, and then the great part about volume three is, of course, through the various convolutions, the reluctant artist ends up being this guy's assistant uh, and for a summer. So you actually see this guy drawing manga. He's in this apartment that the Shonen Jump offices have rented for him. Uh, you know, and you've got our one of our main protagonists and two other guys who's like a manga assistant who's in his 30s, who's still hoping to break in. And everyone has written him off as washed up and over the hill. And this other hotshot who's like 23 or 24, who's like bitter about the entire state of the manga industry. So there's like, you know, so he's like, you know, clearly this one background artist is like complaining that, of course, this idiot savant has been getting all the breaks. But there's a chapter where the the all four of them essentially talk about how the Shonen Jump manga system is broken and could be improved. And there's something really kind of amazing about having that run in comics form and realizing that it's also was running in Shonen Jump at the time. Like it's, it's kind of this really weird, like the snake eating. It's not just the snake eating its own tail. It's just the idea of like, I can't think of any industry, you know, any comic publisher here that would have a book that would allow such open criticism of the way that that particular publisher works, much it, less the industry. It's the snake commenting large. on its own tail being eaten as it eats its tail. <laughs> it's a snake saying, "Have you seen how I'm eating my own tail? This exactly. tail tastes delicious, everyone. <laughs> Let exactly. me just tell you, <laughs> this tail tastes delicious. Exactly. Um, 
And uh, rather than talk more about all the other meta, I do want to say that to me, one of the appeals that's absolutely great is, of course, both characters have picked up love interests. Um, the 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 artist like ill fated romance with this woman that he's loved in his class is kind of eh. And of course, the guy who's the 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 writer of the manga ends up getting a girlfriend who's like uh, who really likes him, but is kind of you know that sort of classic manga like punches him through walls kind of thing you know whenever she, whenever she feels insulted or whatever very charming. wait 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 you're saying that's a manga thing and not just real life <laughs> Jeff, well, Jeff, seriously i could i could tell you stories I, <laughs> I wanted to qualify it grant not everyone weighs 140 pounds but uh yeah I, no, it's no. really easy to throw me through a wall i don't know what to say i was about to say i might do it the next time i see you just uh you know just because i feel like i can yeah exactly hey check this out guys that'd be kind of great like <laughs> what if we could set up like a fake wall <laughs> no, we would know. We can have like a, a pretend fight, and it's about you'd be like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> that would be awesome. Seriously, I'm really upset they didn't give us a WonderCon panel now because that would have been fucking fantastic. Like, plus at a certain point, we could have like like done it as a fundraiser so that like people could have thrown you through the wall for money. I bet there'd be a <laughs> no, line no, of no, people. No, no, I was just that. like, so it would have been a line of people and after like maybe the first time. I'd be like, nobody else gets to throw me through a wall. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jared. We have to stop. For my brains. We have to stop. Anyway, before I, I... Let me just wrap up by saying the other awesome thing about Bakuman is... These kids, because they they have access to the uncle's apartment that has been kept in perfect condition, the parents let them use it as their studio. So the other great sort of hook to me about Bakuman is it's a series about two 16-year-olds that kind of just get to exist in their own world and do what they want. Even though they're building toward this dream, they're constantly weighing against their future and schools and exams, most of that stuff really fades to the background. And you get two kids who are basically always working, but kind of in this great hermetic, like they have their own world. Like, you know how that's kind of, to me, that was kind of always the appeal of something like the Hardy Boys or the three investigator books where they had the club hideout and they got to go solve mysteries and they were really absurdly unburdened by the rest of the world. And admittedly any manga has to have, you know, all sorts of like things about them talking about exams and stuff, but in part because they're so committed to their dream, they're pretty much blowing all those things off. And as far as you can tell, their parents have not one word to say about it. In fact, their parents have more or less faded entirely into the background for volumes two and three. Uh, so it's almost like reading really awesome young adult fiction in that sense. Okay. Bakuman. It actually sounds great. Every single time I hear you or David Brothers talk about it, I'm, I keep thinking, I should read that, and then immediately forget whenever I go to the store. <laughs> like, just have no memory. And then we'll come home and I'll be like, oh, damn it. Damn it. I yeah. do that so much these days with things that I want to read. There is, even weirdly, um, Legion of Superheroes Annual came out like two months ago or something. I always forget to look for that when I'm at the store. Oh, what I, I could be thinking about it when I leave the house, and then by the time I get to the store, I will forgot. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's weird how these blocks are set up. You definitely mentioned uh, 
Um, See, and now you've got a blog. I did. Unfortunately, there's an irony I, there, isn't there? I looked over at a line of on of something on the internet and it totally fucked me up. I'm yeah, sorry. You're looking on Twitter and you saw Jeff Parker say naked Modoc, didn't you? And that completely wiped everything from your brain. God, no, I didn't. Uh, Jeff Parker just tweeted, I'm writing naked Modoc into the spirit self tie in, and I don't care what your objections might be. <laughs> That was another thing I was actually going to give a glowing review to uh, after some skull? initial trepidation. No, uh, Bucko, of course. Oh, yeah. The, See, Bucko's really good, isn't it? Cause I was go- if yeah. you were going to say Book of the Skull, I was, go- I was going to disagree with you strongly. Strenuously. Have you read that? Have you read the, 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 the prologue? Um, uh, no, I was thinking of picking it up. Don't um, and I Jeff. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's rare that I will just come right out and say I think you should save your money, but I think right. you should save your money. Right. Um, do you know how in when Captain America first launched, Rubik would do like World War Two flashbacks, and you'd be like, "This is great!" It's like yes. character depth, and it, you know, he's really brought something to it. Imagine that with none of the character depth, <laughs> and really generic art, uh, and, 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 and it's Scott Eaton, and it's a real oh. it, like it's 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 bad Scott Eaton. Mm. Um, yeah, it's terribly generic and accomplishes nothing. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I was afraid of. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's, it's surprisingly bad. And also, I can't believe anyone who was on the fence but for yourself would pick that up and be like, "I can't wait for this series." Right. Right. Um, so yeah, but no, Baco is really good, right? Yeah, Baco is. You know, like I said, it started super slow. Uh, for me. And of course, there's always the curse of web comics, I think, which is there's like a perfect, like a perfect amount of backlog that allows you to have a real satisfying experience, like reading it, like in two or three readings. But if it's too extensive, you're kind of fucked because you just feel like you'll be reading it forever. Or the art starts out and it's eh. like, I thought it started slow, but of course, Parker, Parker and Moen are uh, incredibly talented. Um, and what's great is now that the, I don't even necessarily want to say the story as much as the riffs, you know. The, oh, no, no, there's, as, there's just, yeah, there's just something about it that you want to keep reading. Yeah, I, I think it really does have, it, what's great is each little bit keeps adding to, you know, what came before it. And in that sense, it reminds me almost of stuff like we've been rewatching Party Down, which I just am in awe of. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of Party Down or Arrested Development in the sense of each little piece on its own doesn't mean so much, but as it accrues, it builds up this great sort of comic punch, you know. So uh, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, is what I'm saying, and we, I, uh, we should probably say if people don't know, what we're talking about Bucko is a webcomic by Jeff Parker and Erica Moen that is online at buckocomic.com. B u c k o c o m i c dot com. And yes. also, I don't know if either of them are going to be at WonderCon, but when Erica was at Emerald City, she actually had a mini comic that was the first twenty six installments. Oh, nice. Um. Uh, which is further than the, the right. strip is actually at. It, it's mm-hmm. um, and so that I think is well worth picking up for people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would, I would definitely pick that up. Yeah, I started slow. I was a little meh-ish about it, and I'm very happy to say that I'm, uh, I, I'm quite enjoying it now. It's definitely on one of those, on uh, something that I have uh, bookmarked and freaked 
check, frequently check. The, the punchline of the most recent installment, mm-hmm. the the public, uh, I would say public safety announcement, Yes, is, is spectacular. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's one of those things where I just did not expect it, and it's so funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it comes back out of the blue. Uh, so yeah, it really, admittedly, it's it's kind of at a, a, a an apex, but uh, I like. Um, so there we go. That's another glowing review. Do you have something else you want to talk? Speak. Um, I, I again, I'm not a glowing review of something that's in trade. I suppose anything that's come out recently. But um, mm-hmm. as I think I told you in email, I've been reading uh, Roy Thomas's All Star Companions, which are collections of material from his Alter Ego magazine. Oh yeah. Um, from Tomorrow's, and I'm not entirely sure why I picked it up. It was at the library, and I was like, oh, this could be interesting. And I'm completely, like, it's made me want to read the All-Star Comics Justice Society stories for the first time ever. I've never really been interested in them. Huh. Um, and these books, which are essentially uh, a series of articles about and an index of the Justice Society stories, mm-hmm. uh, both in All-Star, but also... He then goes on to do all, an index of all of his All Star Squadron stuff mm-hmm. from the eighties and Young All Stars and the nineteen seventies Justice Society revival. Um, it's it's just fascinating stuff. It, it's really interesting to me, mm-hmm. and I really really enjoyed it. Which is the interesting part is I did not expect to like it as much because I hadn't read the stories. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like I'm reading people discuss. You know. I wonder what this artist is doing, and blah 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 blah. These pages, and I'm I'm seeing the page for the first time in the magazine, right? And right. yet, well, it, it, it's fascinating. But that that is that can be a hook. Like lack of context can sometimes really get you, can't it? I mean, I remember like some of the pages reading old comics journal stuff, and they would have pages from stuff that I had never seen before, and seeing that page out of context gives it a weird life of its own. You know yeah, I, mean? I, I so. really, really have uh, been surprised by how much I'm enjoying them. But yeah, really good. And the reason I think I told you is uh, all, not all, most of the Tomorrow's magazines are actually available as PDFs. You did tell me, and I didn't know that until you mentioned it. And it's been kind of crazy for me and my iPad not to like go over. The, I haven't had time to go down and just download some of the sample free issues, but I'm really excited by that. Uh, and also, I, this is me being uh, stereotypically Scottish, but that's really good for me because I actually think Tomorrow's magazines in print are prohibitively expensive. Right. Because uh, they're like $7 or something. But I have no problem paying $3 for the, the PDF. Exactly. Also, something that I thought that was incredibly forward-thinking that I didn't realize until I checked out the, the website, as far as I can tell, if you buy a hard copy of the book, you also get on the digital version. Yeah, which a lot of people have been saying, like, that's all they want, you know? And it's like, well, here's a publisher who's actually doing it. So, you know, listeners, those of you who have an iPad and who have thought about this sort of thing, like, uh, and didn't know about this like me, definitely go over to the Tomorrow's website and check out some of their stuff, try sampling some of it, and looking what they have. Because I agree. I think, um, you know, whether it's a matter of expense or whether it's a matter of convenience, um, having both a, a hard copy and a digital copy is, I think, kind of incredibly forward thinking of them. So, I'm a fan. Good job, them. T. Yes. Uh, another thing that I, I obviously I mentioned it last week extensively, but if I 
didn't sound glowing about it enough. Uh, I don't know how it was missed. That Jack Kirby Captain America omnibus. I'm oh, you, you you sounded glowing. Don't you worry, okay. sir. That, that, was right. a, that was a glowing review. <laughs> okay. You made good. me want to spend all that money that I don't have. <laughs> well, admit, that may be a problem. And in fact, that is, of course, for me, the only thing that keeps me from flat out beseeching you to go out and get this motherfucking thing. Is. Oh, it's it's a pricey, pricey, pricey book. <laughs> Otherwise, I would. That and the... Um, the Thor, the Simonson Thor, I would, I would happily right. get both, and I just can't afford them. Yeah, I don't know if I signed up for that Simonson Thor or not. I was so on the fence. Um, I guess I'll have to find out, but I have to think. You, I, I, I think you'll find out when you go in the store and Brian says, hey, here's that $100 brute you ordered. Yeah, exactly. And I'll be time, like, uh, give me $100. Exactly. I'll be like, uh, oh, I, I, oh, you know, I didn't put meter uh, money in the meter. I'll be right back. Yes. Yeah. See you soon. <laughs> soon. <Just> run. <laughs> uh, I, I don't oh, know if you saw. Here, here's yes. a glowing review, very quickly. Are, yes. are you picking up the Chris Roberson Superman's yet? Uh, yes. In fact, the other day I picked up the Superman Flash issue. Uh, was that not just wonderful? It was I, there, there's really two things about it that I really love. One. I love just the complete silver agesness of Flash is is wearing a headband that controls his brain and fills it with Kryptonian knowledge. Yes. Really, really, like genuinely thought that was great. Uh, but also, I love at the end where Roberson just really quickly undoes the JMS cameo from the Flash in the first part of Grounded. Right. Which I mean, it wasn't incredibly graceful, but I don't think there's a graceful way to get out of it. It was as graceful as you could be to get out of it. But Agreed. more importantly for me, it just it's essentially going, yeah, that was really tone deaf for that character. Indeed. Well, let me add something more because the one thing that that sunk in after I read it that I thought was interesting uh, is that he 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 not only has Flash like say. You know, like I was, I was kidding. The other thing that he says that I think is a brilliant point is it, he doesn't, he doesn't show it. I mean, he doesn't say it, but, but Roberson sets it up so he shows it happening. Because what happens is there's that classic, like the waitress slips and falls and they both, Superman and Flash both speed up and Flash basically continues to have the conversation with him at fast speed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So while they're talking, everyone else is frozen in place. And on the one hand, it allows them the ultimate privacy of being able to talk without anyone listening in. But more importantly, it shows exactly what Robertson's point is, is that that nobody around them is a blur. They're all slowed down. Like you can see every detail. Everything's just sort of hanging there in air. You know what I mean? So mm. – what I like about it is, is not only does at the end, does he say, like, I was joking, like, I see everything. I'm able to process all this stuff, which, of course, makes sense if you're the Flash. But you basically have seen, like, a five-page example of what happens of what life's like in super speed. And sure enough, everything's slowed down for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I kind of thought that that was a – one of the things I think is interesting, you mentioned that Silver Age approach – it works at weird multiple levels, whether it's Superman's thought balloons. Is he actually – is it his thought balloons? Yeah. yeah I think about it. No, wow. Superman's thought balloons, yeah. Wow. Which in itself so, is kind of unusual. 
I just had that moment of like, oh my god, that's the most retro thing of all right there. Like, it doesn't get more Silver Age than like extensive. So he's got huge numbers of thought balloons there, which is Silver age in itself. But it's also the thought balloons that are explaining sometimes what you're seeing or putting a spin on what you're seeing, mm-hmm. which traditionally has been get gotten the, the boot as sort of bad storytelling if you're unnecessarily duplicating what you're showing. But sometimes he's adding a little bit of over-explaining context, and that seems really silver-agey to me. Um, but, like I said, in a good way. Like you said, that whole trope of, like, Flash finds a he- headband, and the first thing he does is he puts it on. Like, you're just like, what? But it really makes but it, sense. It, 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 the reason it makes sense for me, and this perhaps speaks to all my prejudices, is Superman is, like, the one comic where I can completely accept that. Yes. Do you know I mean? There's something about Superman where I almost want that sort of simplified logic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah. like, you know, I, I, what I want from Superman, and I've realized that Robeson's actually been doing this since he got on the book, and it's mm-hmm. what what I've been liking about his issues as much as the quote-unquote Straczynski plot, has been that he's just continually adding things. It's all constructive. Yes. So you get the Superman squad, or you get the Fortress of Solidarity. Or you get super chief at the start of this issue. In, yes. in completely a throwaway scene. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden it's like, look, here's the new super chief. And this is who he is. Yes. Uh, and it's also additive. And it's also, it's, it's definitely pretentious to say full of imagination. Because at the same time you're like, hey, it's, it's a new super chief. Or right. it's a team of supermen. Right. Which, you know, might not be the most imaginative thing. But it is, it's so, it's adding to everything. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just either snarking on things or deconstructing things or just saying superheroes are just like us. It's not. It's saying mm-hmm. superheroes aren't like us. They will right. do things that we know are kind of stupid, like putting on headbands that they have no idea where it came from. And it will have this effect. But that's what superheroes are. Superheroes aren't like us. Superheroes have adventures that are beyond us. And this is why. And that's what Superman should do for me. Yes. I, th- I also think that there's something that you point out that, like you said, you accept some of this in Superman much more than in other books. I feel that there's something where Superman, this is going to sound really weird, but the idea of Superman as progenitor, you know, to, is is as much a part of the Superman myth. You know what I mean? Is is that we're aware that Superman is the first superhero. I mean... Mm-hmm. You know, you can split hairs various ways, but as we sort of understand the conception now, Superman's the first superhero, and so the entire industry kind of sprang from him. And so seeing that sort of play out inside the Superman mythology, that you have these various reflections of Superman that are created around him... Make it makes a lot of sense to me. You know what I mean? Like it's the sort of thing that it's precisely the sort of thing that works for Superman, but doesn't work when you get down to say Moon Knight. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. various ways in which the whole like cre- legacy characters is kind of interesting on its own, but it's really just a very secondhand riff of what they were doing in the Silver Age Superman titles way back when. But it becomes a joke when it's like the idea of like, oh, it's Deadpool in the Deadpool core, or it's some, you know, fifth-rate hero who's, you know, inspired like even more tenth-rate creations. But it, at the level of Superman, it feels weirdly right, you know. I yeah. think. 
No, no, you're right. You're entirely right. And it's it's why Roberson's Superman just feels so right in a way that the character hadn't really yeah. felt since like music was doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I say, that right. who, I say that as someone who really liked the new Krypton arc, and I say that as someone who likes what Paul Cornell's doing over in action, but right. Roberson's Superman feels Superman. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, it really does feel Superman-y. Well, and I, I actually appreciated that was the thing that I, I do like about Cornell's action is is that because it's not having it be a focus on Lex without Superman being there is a really smart choice because it gives it the ability to be kind of its own thing, you know, mm-hmm. I, to have its own tone that isn't necessarily tied into having to balance that with Superman. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, I, it has to be said, I'm uh, really ambivalent about Cornell bringing Superman in mm-hmm. in issue 900 again. I'm more ambivalent mm-hmm. than I thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I am. I'm, I'm really kind of like, I wonder what it's going to be like. And the fact that he's doing it with the Doomsday story mm-hmm. makes me kind of like, ah, I don't know how I feel about this. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, 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 because it really is. For me, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are people... This is a... Doomsday might be some sort of crazy generation gap or something. Like, there's got to be people who think that Doomsday, the character, is awesome, right? I'm sure there has to be. I don't know who they are. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I really don't know. But it's that thing of every time Doomsday comes back, I always feel like it's got these super diminishing returns. And I wasn't crazy... uh, about the character in, I mean, because it's not really a character. Place. It's not a character. Yeah. No, it's, it's a plot device. Yeah. So, um, you know. But that I said, started, I remember buying the prestige format follow-up series by Dan Jurgens. Mm-hmm. God, so, okay, really? yeah, yeah, really. All three issues. I didn't just get, like, one issue to be like, this is no good. I had to be <laughs> <laughs> all the way through it. Um, so, no, it, it's... I, I'm not a fan of the character. I'm not a fan of what he represents. But I think what this Reign of Doomsday story seems to be is more about nostalgia for that seri- that story than anything right. with Doomsday the character. Because he goes after Steel first, then he goes after the Eradicator, then he goes after, I think, Supergirl. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he's working through the replacements. Um, right. So, and I almost made a Paul Westerberg joke there. <laughs> Luckily, I stopped myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of like, huh? And the pause was like, would that have been amused me or not? Mm, that would be great. <laughs> Probably yeah. not. Um, That's right. Although, as you said, Chris Mars. after everyone um, complained that Steel had died in his one shot, uh, right. and I, at the point, was like, he quite clearly didn't die. I'm so glad to anyone who's been paying attention to solicits that he is quite clearly still alive in the next issue of action. Well, just out of curiosity, didn't that one shot come out like 500 years ago? Like, isn't this kind of like a really that, that big one shot, slow That one shot came out in January. Okay, so it's January. It's now March. Has there been any other issues where like Doomsday's killed somebody or beaten the slobber out of anyone? Or uh, Yeah, there's the Outsiders issue and then Justice League issues today. Oh, okay. All right. So, so, so there's, there's been an issue a month. Oh, okay. All right. So that's pretty pretty much a slow burn, but it's but it's still going. Yes. Okay. And it's counting down to get to um, Action right. 900, so he's got a couple of months yet. <laughs> that would be great. 
<laughs> Doomsday like, battles like, at I'm 7 <laughs> Bit early. I'm going to Starbucks. Da, 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 da. <laughs> My joke done much better and with your delightful music. Exactly. It was the music that made it wasn't. <laughs> That's like, that's oh, just, hey. what Doomsday does when he's bored. He goes to Starbucks and reads Marvel comics on the air Wi-Fi. Exactly the segue I was going for, you bastard. So, yeah, that was kind of interesting, wasn't it? Uh, sure. I, it was unexpected. I'm not really sure that it's going to make people suddenly read Marvel comics. Well, <laughs> you, well no, because it, to me, I'm, I'll be fascinated to see how it actually works. You know, because in the past, the Marvel Digital Comics thing is like subscriber only. So are they providing issues through the network that you can just click on and read? Or is it do you have a Starbucks password that you log on to while you're there. It doesn't really matter. I mean, I, I've poked around the Marvel digital service and it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a mess. It's an interesting proposition, but I've always found it weirdly like messy whenever I've like looked around. Cause there have been one or two times when I've been jonesing for the idea of like, Oh, an online comic service that I can just like go to and read this stuff. And, you know, and I'll start searching around and their collection is so weird. You know what I mean? Like, it's never consistent. It doesn't seem like there's lots of whole runs. They won't even have, like, you'll have, like, this weird, like, you can search by creator and they'll have, like, George Perez issues and it just feels like there's never, like, all the issues of a particular arc even or something. I don't know. No, no, exactly. Because, again, Marvel does their digital based on their trades. And so if it's on the George Perez visionaries, and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, this story kind of completed in the next issue, but Rich Buckler drew that, so we've not included it. Then you're not going to get it on digital. Okay, that that totally explains, because I, I really was like, how the hell are they? Like, this, is, this isn't this is like, you know, your friend's older brother's comic book collection. This is supposedly Marvel Comics themselves. Why the fuck is it just like this, like, completely scattered mess? Well, there, but, there's two reasons why I think this is not going to be as big a deal as... Marvel would like you to think. Right. One, um, it's being offered as part of Starbucks Starbucks Digital Network, which is also going to offer people ESPN, The Economist, The New York Times, and other things that they will more likely rather read in a limited time that they're in Starbucks. And two, apparently they're just going to offer them access to the Digital Comics Unlimited, which means you can't do it on your uh, your iPad or your iPhone. Right. Because that's Flash-based. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, eh, I, I don't think it's going to bring in anyone who doesn't already read comics. And I don't think that it's actually going to be available to a lot of people. Well, that's Unless it. they have their laptops. Well, you see a lot of laptop-based stuff in there. I mean, as you know, I'm a little bit of a uh, Starbucks junkie. Not as much as I used to be, but I do go in on the mornings when I go to work. And, you know, I would say the, the laptops to other browsers, at least in terms of the people who are hanging out, you know, is at least in the ones downtown, it's about 50%. Um, you know, part of the reason why I think it could be a good thing for Marvel if they worked at it and they worked harder at it is, um, you know, Starbucks is really, it's been working super, super hard at, creating its customer base uh, it, I, I think a very stealthy customer base which is that Starbucks they had it they did a study like about a year or two years ago which found that Starbucks was like the most popular place for teenage kids to hang out as far as a fast food place okay uh, 
And so the the things that the kids liked about it were, you know, they could hang out, they had access to Wi-Fi, you know, the snacks that they liked, you know, and it also, but it made them also feel a little more grown up. So one of the things that's fascinating about Starbucks is at they continue because teens are fast, you know, more faster and furious with their cash. They're less discriminating, less discerning is figuring out ways to market to teens without letting on to the fact that they're marketing to teens. So you've seen a higher uh, uh, accent in like sweets and sweet-based foods, but Starbucks is continually refining it to keep it less expensive and at a at a certain at a certain price point and within certain calories. But they keep trying to figure out ways to appeal to the teen market um, at the same time that they're you know ostensibly still put towards the, you know, business adult type. The other thing that's fascinating, the flip side of this is watching how McDonald's has moved into the realm of their McCafes and also offering free Wi-Fi. Like they've moved into the quote unquote coffee space, but that has as much to do with them wanting to try in some cases to get the teen market back. All of which is to say the teens, I think, make like you've got things where you've got people who are definitely read going to be in theory reading the economist and the wall street journal and the new york times i think a lot of people like me just go in there to read the stuff that they're going to do but you can't help but see that page when you have to click on and agree to their terms of service but i actually do think if there's something there that's flashy enough that is teen oriented enough um they might actually see some kind of results. Maybe we'll see. Well, we will see. I am. I'm <laughs> always the pessimist in this sort of thing, and so I, I, I hope yes. you're right. I really just don't think it's going to um, get people who aren't already wanting to read comics. I, don't, I, well, I think it's going to exactly. be some sort of like fabulous gateway drug that no one saw coming. It's like, well, no, 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 no. And I'm not definitely not saying that. Like, this is going to turn things around and change the game forever. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Is the gateway drug news of today? What? The Cartoon Network news about DC. Oh, I didn't see it. Uh, Cartoon Network is going to launch something called DC Nation, which is going to be a block of programming, uh, all based around DC Comics properties. And it's also going to continue online with exclusive online content. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, that, I, I think that's going to end up being massive. It's not going to be the teens; it's going to be a younger audience. But mm-hmm. I think it's going to, I, I think it's going to introduce as many uh, people to the characters as like Justice League Unlimited, if not more, because there'll be more shows. Right. Well, yes, except that, again, it's that thing of like Justice League Unlimited is old. You know, what sure. I mean? that, like, that's what I'm saying. It can do the same thing as Justice League Unlimited. Well, but here's my question is how many how many people actually got brought in by Justice League Unlimited now that we are far enough along that we can see measurable, demonstrable results? I really do not know, and I'd love to find out. Yeah, I mean... I, I, I think there definitely is uh, an audience who were brought in by like Justice League Unlimited to Batman Beyond. Things, yeah. things that came after the initial series. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Definitely when you've got something like Batman Beyond selling the numbers that it's selling, it suggests that there is... that there is There's a significant audience that has some nostalgia for it. Right, exactly, which is super sensible. So, yeah, no, I think I think that could be a big deal. You don't... So you see it as more than just 
um, counter programming to Disney's XD. Oh no, I, I think it is that, but I also think it's the smartest move that DC's made in terms of uh, Warner Brothers branching out so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but you know, it's kind of it is interesting. I do feel so. As I was saying, like with the Starbucks thing, I think that if the idea of like you click on to log into Starbucks and it's like, click here to get access to Marvel Digital Longbox. And you like click onto it and it's like, great, click here to create your account. You know, I don't think that's going to do anything for anyone, but I do think that maybe for teens, if like they clicked it, if they, when they log on to, if someone logs on to Starbucks and you get a choice of story, like, you know, things that you can listen to or look at. And one of those things is the Captain America Thor free comic book day digital edition sure then then that might get people yeah it's true yeah if it's set up that way and and by by get people we mean just a tiny 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 fraction but that's more than we're getting otherwise you know so it's so bad that you said a tiny 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 fraction and i was like mad fractions child (laughs) (laughs) that would be great (laughs) (laughs) yes sign up for starbucks Receive a free child of Mad Fraction. That would be great. The Fraction offspring. Tiny Fraction. I'm I'm very glad that they had more self-respect than to actually go with that sort of thing. Name the child Tiny. Tiny Fraction. (laughs) (laughs) Well played, sir. (laughs) It's just great hearing you tickled by that. Uh, So one of the things that I have not read... And I can't give it a glowing review, but I just want to say that I hold in my hands uh, a manga volume called Moya Simon Tales of Agriculture. So I'm pretty excited to start this. It is Tales of Agriculture. I'm looking forward to a glowing review next week. Do you want to hear the back of the book? Yes. Uh, Tadayasu is a new fresh-faced university student hiding a bizarre secret. He can see germs with the naked eye. Oh, my mother of God, that's the greatest thing ever. Isn't it? Between the machinations of an eccentric professor determined to unlock the power of the microbial world and the doomed agricultural experiments of his fellow students, will Tadayasu ever find the cool college atmosphere he so desires? Come on. I, Face uh, it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Face the tigers. We we've all just said the jackpot. <laughs> exactly. So I, I am I'm very excited to actually read this. Uh, it's by Del Rey Manga, uh, and I will have a review for us next week. Okay, I am calling it that. That's the first official Wade Watt cliffhanger. <laughs> I want it to be next week right now to hear what that looks like. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, and hopefully that means that I really will follow through because I can say it's talking next week and I'll be like, oh, right, yeah, I can oh, watch that it's book. Like, it's like me with the robot sex column where I'm like, next week I'll tell you what I think about the Tom Cow comics and they don't arrive in the mail and I'm like, <laughs> play for time, play for time. It's like, look over here, shiny thing. In that sense, we're all doomsday hanging out at Starbucks. Exactly. 